Good morning, Glenbrook Baptist Church. Um, I'm reading from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills of East Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Well, again, a warm welcome. Uh, if you're joining us uh, online, it's always lovely to have you with us. We've been going through Genesis uh, chapters 1 to 12. Uh, we're at the end, and uh, it's been a journey. It's been a wonderful journey. Uh, now, normally you would preach Genesis 1 to 11, uh, but I think this chapter is extremely important uh, to finish on. So I'm going to pray. Hopefully you've got your Bibles there because I, I haven't got the capacity with an extra uh, set of arms to, to flick through Bible passages and screens for you. So uh, I encourage you uh, to grab your Bibles if you have them. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we can uh, be here in spirit, uh, literally, Lord. Your Holy Spirit binds us together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come to it with great assurance, with great uh, confidence and with great hope. Father, help us to anticipate you working in our hearts and our lives through the Holy Spirit now. And Father, as we look at these promises you made to Abraham all those thousands of years ago, Father God, we, we thank you that uh, your plan and your purpose uh, is consistent, it's never changing, and your commitment and faithfulness is beyond anything that we can imagine. So bless us now, Lord, and open these words to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've mentioned about a thousand times since I've been here, I used to live and uh, minister up in the Kimberley and the Pilbara. But one of the things I do miss about uh, being up there is all the plane flights I used to have. Now, I used to fly quite regularly. There'd be conferences. I was studying at the time, so I'd come back to Sydney for intensives. Uh, even medical situations, which they couldn't deal with there, we got flown to Perth. Uh, it seemed like we were flying all the time. Now, the thing about flying is that you are over a vast amount of land. 
you cover it very quickly and that you can only get a glimpse of, uh, I guess, the, 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 the new, you don't get the nuances, you just get an idea and a feel for the land and what's happening. It's not until you land that plane and you get in the car or you start living in an area that you start seeing some of the intricacies of the land in which you've been flying over. Um, you get to know the culture, you get to know the people, you get to know the language. Uh, particularly in the Kimberley, you started to scratch the surface. On the, oh, It's a beautiful area to fly over. But once you're on the ground and you're travelling through it, and you get to know some of the realities of living there, it becomes quite, uh, you become quite aware of what's happening. But you have to land and slow down to be impacted by that. And today, that's kind of what we're doing in Genesis. As we go through Genesis 1 to 11, we, we're almost like in a plane which is going over a vast amount of land, a vast amount, thousands of years if not a lot more, uh, in order to give us an insight into creation and, and, and the plan of God through, through the sin of uh, humanity and through, through Noah and, and the promise made to Noah. And then we head to last week where George showed us that uh, despite uh, God giving humanity a control, alt, delete, a restart, uh, straight away the human heart is seen to be gathering together in community, which is fine until they start building their own kingdoms and start trying to reach to heaven as if they were some people of importance. And so God confuses the language and scatters them. And so far we've really been covering a lot of years and a lot of territory really quickly as if we've been in a plane. But Genesis 12 is like landing that plane and getting in the car or even starting to walk the landscape. You see, from Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, it really covers between two and 300 years. So we're slowing down. We start to meet some of these people and get, a, get an insight into the lives of the patriarchs. In fact, Abraham, the great patriarch, then flows on to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And the whole point of Genesis 1 to 11, I, I believe, is to prepare us for Genesis 12 to 50. Because remember, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy as the people were, were called out of Egypt and heading for the promised land. And so it's giving them a background of who they are who Israel is, where they've come from, who the patriarchs are, what's created all this, what sin is, where sins come from, what the creation was. And now we're narrowing in to Abraham and his family and we're seeing promises made to Abraham. So this morning we're going to look at primarily Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, and we're going to land the plane of this series on here. Now, maybe next year or the year after, I'm not sure, uh, we might look at the rest of Genesis. But this is a great place to land in Genesis 12 in this series. And we're going to see three things. We're going to mainly focus on chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and we're going to see three things of God's promise to Abraham as he calls him out and sets him on a path 
of salvation, really, in the promises. And we're going to see he promises him land. He promises him people to be a great nation. And he promises that he will be a blessing. His people, his nation will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now, if we have a look at this, well, let me read uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3 again. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the first thing uh, God promises Abraham in verse 1 here is to go to the land that he shows him. So the land was always central to God's plan for humanity. Right back in Genesis 1, we're introduced to land. God created the land. But he didn't just create the land. He created the Garden of Eden in which God would walk with humanity in the land. And then he formed the man out of the land, out of the dust of the earth. You see, we have a great connection to land. Land was always there for us and God to walk together in. Now, just a bit further in the next chapter, as Abram and Lot, uh, uh, as God is blessing them and as they're getting larger and larger, their families, uh, they decide that they need to separate because the land that they're in together can't sustain them. And we're told this in Genesis uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. See, this promise of land is very central to God's salvation promises. He's, talking, he's, he's chosen Abram for no reason of Abram's. He has chosen him and he has blessed him and said, here, I am sending you to the promised land. Now, the promised land was a place where God again could dwell with his people, where they would live under his rule in his land, obeying his law. And so from Abraham, we see the journey that ends up in Egypt, which ends up in Moses uh, leading the exodus out of Egypt through the wilderness which is where this uh, context of this being written. And then finally, after Moses' death, they enter this promised land. But see, there's some problems with the land. Well, not so much the land, but the people. If you think back to Genesis chapter 8, verse 21, when we talked about uh, Noah, they came out of the ark and God blessed them at the beginning of chapter 9. But in chapter 8, verse 21, 
we are told something very telling. Uh, God said, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. You see, there's something going on here about God is fulfilling promises and, and creating this space, this promised land where he can dwell again with his people. But there's this nagging reality sitting in the background that we can't forget that uh, God has reinforced in chapter 6 and now reinforced in chapter 8 and we see play out in chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis. And that is that every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. It's forming evil all the time. We know it as sin. And so as God is looking to the promise of the land, there is something bigger going on here. So we see the importance of the land even today for Israel. See, the nation of Israel, it's barely a week goes by where they're not willing to defend their land at all costs. They'll do whatever it takes to reclaim any of the land that's lost. But you see, God isn't actually talking about that land. In fact, when he talks about, when, when, when in the book of Hebrews, when we are introduced uh, to these great men of faith, that great chapter in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, which talks about the, the great men of faith, uh, right in the middle of that, in chapter 11, at the, in, in the middle of that chapter, in chapter 11, verse 13 to 14, we are told this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. See, right back at Abraham, faithfulness was always longing for something beyond this world. See, men fight over their land all the time. The Middle East is still fighting over the land. But for those who are in the faith, we must understand that the land of this earth is not what we are headed for. It was never the land that is being promised here. The land is a heavenly one. And we hear in the book of Revelation, it is the new heavens and the new earth where nothing impure will enter that city, the city of God, which we are destined for. See, this promise to Abraham all those years ago was already thinking of a heavenly land. And as people go into the land of Israel, they're given the commandments and Romans tells us they were given those commandments just to highlight that they were longing for something more. So the land, it's very critical to the promises I guess the question this leaves us is, do you still have your eyes fixed on the land of this earth? 
What land are you longing for? See, we know we have a binding to the land. We know we want a plot of land. We spend our lives trying to to, to own our own plot of land. But is that where your eyes should truly be? Or should they be fixed on the heavenly land? Well, the second promise uh, that God makes to Abraham here is of people. See, creating for a people for himself is what God has always desired. By calling Abraham, God is beginning the detailed creation of Israel. But Israel were always meant to be the humanity that God created. See, Israel was set aside as we come to the patriarchs, as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became Israel, and the 12 tribes of Israel. See, they were sent to the land, given the law in Exodus 20, the commandments, in order to live under God's rule, to become the true Israelites, to live under the rule of God as Adam and Eve were meant to do but fell. In fact, the scriptures call them the firstborn. Israel, the nation set apart to be the firstborn so that they could be set apart from all the other nations to go into the land and to live in obedience. But as we know, as it pans out, as we see in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, and, and then it numbers Deuteronomy, and then as we head into the narratives of Israel, the history of Israel, we see over and over again that they couldn't live up to being the Israel that they were meant to, the firstborn son. Adam couldn't do it. The nation of Israel couldn't do it. In fact, God gave them a whole sacrificial system to atone for their sins. Every year, the high priest would have to go into the inner sanctum, the holy of holies, in order to make a final big sacrifice for all the people. You see, it was always a problem because of Genesis 8.21, the heart of humanity. See, the true Israel were meant to have the right heart, but they couldn't. They fell short. See, once again, this isn't just pointing to the Israel nation that we know today. This is pointing to the true Israel, the Israel that will fulfill God's commands, the son, the firstborn, the one that who will perfectly live under God's rule here on this earth. We know him as Jesus. Let me just read to you from Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Galatians 3, 16 to 18. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now, Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. 
What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. See, we often think that uh, the whole purpose was always to get us to do the right thing. Well, God knew the human heart when he gave the promise to Noah back in chapter 8 and 9. God knew the human heart when he gave the promises here in chapter 12 to Abraham. See, this is the covenant of the promise. See, there is one seed that is the true Israelite, the one who perfectly lives in obedience to God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so right back in Abraham, again, it's pointing to Christ, the true Israelite. You could say that Jesus became Israel for Israel. And the true nation of Israel today, we are told, are those who are brought into the kingdom by faith in him. That is the only way to be reconciled to God. It is the only way to be saved, to be made right with God, is by being grafted in by faith. In fact, Romans chapter 4 talks about uh, Abraham being brought in to relationship with God by that very means. In the promises that he had, the faithfulness that he had in those promises, which were pointing to Christ, were credited to him as righteousness. His faith credited him with righteousness. Why? Because it was in the promise. The promise of what? People, a nation, land and blessing. And so as he looked and he was faithful and he went, knowing that there was something far beyond this world, it was pointing to Christ. So through his faith, he was grafted in, even Abraham himself. See, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, it's always been about faith. The land, the people, was always looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the final promise here relates to the purpose for those who live by faith. And that is to be a blessing to all nations on earth. See, verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you in Genesis 12, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, the whole point of Israel living according to God's commands is that through their righteousness, through their holiness, all nations on the earth would be blessed because as living in the image of God, as we were created to be, 
And as we're living in that image, reflecting God's character and reflecting God's glory on the earth, it brings great blessing to the earth. Now, where do we see that fulfilled? Well, in Jesus, I have come to set the captives free. I have come not for the righteous, but for sinners. See, in the Great Commission, go into all nations and make disciples. See, last week in Genesis 11, we saw the scattering of the nations, the confusing of the language. As the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, we see the nations all brought together, all hearing in their own language the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They all come to Christ, the nations, to go out in back into the nations to preach the gospel in order to bless the nations with salvation in Christ. But it's not just about preaching, uh, preaching uh, the gospel. It's about the lives that we live. In fact, Jesus, when he begins his Sermon on the Mount, he starts with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He goes on in that wonderful passage to begin this great sermon. He says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. I don't know if you're, uh, you've ever played sport on a, on a big field at night. I used to play a lot of soccer and we used to train and sometimes play at night. And it was interesting because a floodlight always had to be placed somewhere. They couldn't obviously place it in the middle of the field to give light everywhere on the same way. So there was always in a corner or on the edge. But no matter where you were on that field, that light would give you some ability to see. Now, some areas were a bit darker. Some areas were as bright as anything. See, Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. For those who have the faith, those who are grafted in as the true people of God, we are to bless the world with our holiness, with our righteousness with the good news of Jesus. And that's why he goes on and talks about how we should live. Forgive your enemies. Turn to them the other cheek. Pray for them. He says here, you're going to be persecuted, but rejoice and believe, be glad. Why? Because you're fulfilling your purpose. Because as the world lives out their life in sin and they encounter you and you turn the other cheek, they have encountered the Lord Jesus himself one of his ambassadors on the earth. We are to live separately. We are to live differently. Why? To bless those around us, not to bless yourself. 
you'll be persecuted. But rejoice and be glad because you are being used to bring others into the kingdom, to fulfill the great purpose that you have that was given all the way back to Abraham in Genesis 12. I, uh, a few weeks ago, before the lockdown, I, I did the great can, the Grand Canyon walk up at uh, Blackheath. I'm not sure if any of you have done that. It's a wonderful walk, but it's kind of steep going down and kind of steep coming up. Now, I went the opposite direction uh, to most of uh, most of the people, so I was coming across a lot of people uh, the other way, and it was a, it was a wonderful walk, and I encourage you to do it. But as I was coming out, there was this young couple. They're obviously young and in love and they were they were bounding like like deer down these stairs and they're they're holding hands and they're laughing and it was wonderful wonderful to see just like Ellie and I like every day and uh, and they're bounding down and uh, they suddenly stop when they come to me and they say is there anything down there now I, I kind of thought to myself that's a very odd question you're bounding down and you're wondering if there's anything down there. And I said, yeah, the Blue Mountains are down there. Can you see how beautiful it is? And they're going, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, we mean like, is there a waterfall? I'm like, yeah, there is a waterfall. It'll take you about 40 minutes to get there. Remember, you've got to bound back up these stairs. So they, they go, so there is a waterfall. Okay, and off they went bounding and they just ran down these stairs and off they went to find their, their, their promised waterfall. Now, I stopped after that interaction and I looked around me and I was in a spot which was absolutely spectacular. There were the greenery of the ferns, there was trickling water. It was just beautiful blue mountains, uh, a spot. And I thought to myself, why are you bounding so quickly to this promised waterfall and missing the very, the very blessing that's all around here? See, our purpose in Christ isn't just to make it to the waterfall. It isn't just to keep our eyes fixed on that heavenly kingdom and wait it out or to sit in isolation like COVID and just wait for it to finish. No. It is to recognise that all around us at every moment is opportunity to bless. And as we enjoy this creation and as we enjoy this world, even when we are persecuted, we can find that joy because as we live in, in, in light of the righteousness that we're called to, we are blessing the world. Be a blessing in the world. That's our command here. And then later on in Matthew 28, Jesus says, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, in your going, make disciples of all nations. The great blessing of the gospel, salvation. And as the world encounters us, they should encounter a blessing which brings great joy. Let me encourage you not to lose sight of what's around us now. The great opportunities we have to bless our world through our righteousness. And you might ask, well, hang on a minute, if Israel couldn't do it, 
then why are you talking about me being righteous? I'm a sinner. I just have to wait for my new heavens and my new body and my new, my new earth. Well, here's the difference. The promises were fulfilled in Christ. And one of those promises was the giving of, the, of God the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. See, not only did Christ come to dwell in the world and bless the world around him, but God the Holy Spirit now dwells in us. He is renewing us from the inside out. We are called to renewal. We are called to holiness, and he will achieve it. So that doesn't stand firm anymore. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you won't be able to do things perfectly, but you will be able to grow and have more blessing on the earth as you are sanctified, as you are renewed from the inside out. Let me encourage you to get on board with that program of holiness for your life. So these promises to Abraham were promises for us because we are now the true Israelites grafted in to the one who is the king, the true king, and we are his subjects. As a nation, let's go and bless the world through our righteousness, our holiness, and through the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And as we walk in this earth, as we walk in faith, as the Holy Spirit now guides us and renews us from the inside out, help us to bless this world with the life that you've called us to live, but also with the gospel, the good news, as we go and make disciples of all nations. Father God, thank you for calling us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for grafting us in by the faith you have given us. And we pray now that as even in isolation, you will give us great opportunities to bless the world around us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.